Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host, Randall Pinkett, Dr. Randall Pinkett. He was the winner of season four of The Apprentice, the show's first minority winner. You've seen him on television and on the news, too. He's the co-founder, chairman, CEO of BCT Partners, an information technology and management consulting firm. And Dr. Pinkett, he's based in Somerset, New Jersey. Welcome to the program. Hey, Michael, thank you for having the program. I'm happy to be here, excited and looking forward to the conversation. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bairdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. Yeah, well, we all fell in love with you on television. I mean, can you ever live that down? I mean, the fact is you are the Apprentice winner, season four. And, uh, you know, you were one of the good guys. And then before... I don't know. There was it became kind of mayhem after that. Um, but you won with class, and it seems like uh, in everything that you do, you handle yourself with class. The book that you have, "Black Faces and White Places: Ten Game-Changing Strategies to Achieve Success and Find Greatness," you did it with class. Is isn't that the way to go? Uh, I would agree with you wholeheartedly, Michael. And it's interesting you you raise that in the context of the Apprentice because. One of the things I learned having won the show and then taking on the assignment that I did for the year as a winner is that all that glitters is not gold. And although by societal standards, you may be successful because you're wealthy or you've got a a large business, it's not just about what you've done, but how you've done it. And I was much younger when I competed on the show than I am now. It was 2005, so we're talking 14 years ago that I competed. So I was, I was much younger, much less experienced, and 
was still learning the ways of, of business in the world. And uh, it, it, it is the way to go. <clears throat> and I would argue that if, if you have to go another way in order to accomplish your goals or to be quote unquote successful, that's not success. Mm-hmm. You know, and you've got to really look deeper at to the, as to the things that really matter in life. And uh, dollars and bank accounts and material things, uh, that's not the end game. Uh, it's more about the journey than it is about the destination. Yes, and I enjoyed it with you. And, and how can I say, you know, even, uh, well, Donald Trump, it, everybody appreciated that it was done with a good spirit, you know, with the fact that there was something that you say in your book, again, Black Faces in White Places, 10 Game-Changing Strategies to Achieve Success and Find Greatness. The word synergy, you know, I mean, getting along, making the use of everyone's uh, gifts and talents and treating everybody as a human being. You, you seem to have gotten that uh, early on, that it's about getting along with one another. And uh, the show just took a different turn after that. And it seemed like, you know, reality television, that, as you said at the beginning, to win at all costs just didn't feel that good when you see other contestants. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've heard from several folks over the years that The Apprentice, when it first hit television, and, and, and you'll recall, that was the early years of reality TV and people thought it was a, a fad. Right. That was and now it's everywhere. Uh, but, but, but people have said that it started out being more about business and less about reality. And now it's, and then it evolved to being more about reality and less about, about, about business. And uh, I think there's a fair argument to that. I was really proud to be a part of the, the early seasons of the show when it was unknowns. We were hungry for opportunity, uh, entrepreneurs, business people uh, who we're seeking an opportunity to expand our platform and learn through competition. And that's what the show really did for me. So uh, while, while the, the show is no longer, uh, you know, uh, produced these days and it went through, I think 14 seasons, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, I was really proud of the opportunity to portray a positive image of what it means to be in business and to do it with integrity and do it with respect. Yes, and you bring up in your book the word institution, you know, to be part of something, not just to win, but to be part of something bigger than yourself. Do you like the fact that it has defined you that way, being a winner, number one, having your name associated with winner, but also the institution that uh, is the name of, you know, in television history, The Apprentice? Absolutely, absolutely. It, it, it's been... Uh, <laughs> Maybe a little... I mean, I'd like to find it behind the scenes. I'm sure it's... I don't even know if you're allowed to talk about that, but... Uh, no, no. We're, we're, at, we're at liberty to, to talk about the show. I think we might have been under some kind of non-disclosure for a certain period of time. It's, it's long since expired, so I'm, okay. I'm free to roam about the cabin at this point. Tell us everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it, was, you know, it, it, it was definitely a great opportunity to be a part of, of the show. I part of its legacy really uh, has been understanding uh, that there are lessons we can all learn about uh, life by learning about business. And I think that was part of the appeal of the show is not everybody is into business, but I think that there are general life lessons you can learn about failure, about teamwork, about treating people the way you wanted to be treated. And to your earlier question about synergy, about how to find people who are not just like-minded, but like-hearted. Mm. Um, I think that those who were successful on the show were able to build real relationships 
and not stab people in the back and feel like it was a zero-sum game. More for me is less for you and for me to succeed. I have to step on others, but rather we can all win together. That one plus one can equal three, and that's the essence of synergy, right? Yeah, and everyone smiled when they brought up your name. I mean, that's and a good name. I mean, as you said, and by the way, I didn't do you justice as far as, uh, you know, we're going to talk about like Five Degrees and Road Scholar. There's like a whole bunch of other stuff. But then the one thing that stood out, though, was your class as far as like the kind of person, a cut above the others, they recognized that. And it brought peace and uh, it just shows that good guys, you know, finish first, you know. So um, if I turn to your book, though, it's funny when you say Trump continued. This is, you know, before being president here. It says you were you two were so good. I have to ask your opinion. What do you think of Rebecca? If, if you were me, would you hire her also? And I, I like you wrote. I thought, is he serious? <laughs> and i thought in the, in the same thing in watching the the show i'm thinking is that for real and i kept wondering was that scripted in in, in reading your book it, it turns out it wasn't that you that took you by surprise it, it took me uh semi by surprise uh so it was completely unscripted wow uh, donald was on live TV and free and, 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 and clear to do whatever he wanted to do. However, uh, Michael, getting back to behind the scenes of the show, there were rumors for weeks leading up to the finale that Donald was going to try to hire both of us. And so I convened a meeting with my executive team at BCT Partners, and we went through a series of mock board uh, boardrooms. And we had a couple of different scenarios. He asked, uh, uh, to hire both of us. Uh, he, he thinks about um, hiring uh, one and then hiring the other. I, I, I didn't quite prepare for the scenario of him hiring me and then asking me if he should hire the other. But what I did have was a guiding principle. The guiding principle was there is no way <laughs> I'm, walk, I'm walking away from that boardroom as, the, as either the sole winner, because uh, I believed I had earned the victory. And the scenario that played out, as you, as you know, was he hired me. So, Randall, you're hired. What do you think about Rebecca? My response was, I'm not sharing the title. I love it. He said, are you sure? I said, I'm absolutely sure. This is not the apprentice. It's the apprentice. Right. <laughs> but the other scenario I did prepare for, Michael, and you'll love this, was if he had said to me, well, Randall, I'm going to hire her anyway. Yeah. I, was, I was prepared for that scenario. And my response was, and this is verbatim, if you can't see, Donald, that I'm the sole winner, then guess what? You don't have to hire me. I quit. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would have been awesome. Oh, my goodness. That would have been cool. It's interesting. You, you're so prepared, though. You actually plan that, you know, all the different scenarios, which is great. But, you know, like I'm a huge tennis fan, you know, the Wimbledon championships coming up here and soon. And, but it's almost like asking a Federer and Nadal, hey, would you guys mind sharing the title? I mean, they wouldn't have it. There's no way they would be insulted. That's exactly right. And that was the analogy I made on all the national televised programs. Uh, I did the Today Show, Regis and Kathy Lee. I mean, I was all over the national networks. And I said, think about an Olympic gold medalist on the, on, on the, on the, the winner's stand. And in the moment you're putting the gold medal over their neck, you say, oh, by the way, do you want to share the gold medal with the silver medalist? That would be considered absurd. And, and so while many people asked, why didn't you share? And I still, and I stand by that decision to this day. My response to them is, no, the question is not why didn't I share? The question is, why did he ask the question in yes. the first place? Mm -hmm. That's the better question. 
That's right. Because you said he, he didn't ask anybody else. No other contestants before that. And, uh, and you know, it, I mean, behind the book, it's really how to, how to take care of yourself and life, but also realizing you have to lean on other people. And you say that there's, there's enough good organizations out there, if you look, that you can depend and find strength and uh, what people are doing good, you know? And so, um, yeah, there has to, I, I agree with that, the ethic of all that. And it's, uh, I thought, wow, he's thinking on his feet. And that's what I thought. I thought maybe this isn't scripted. I'm glad you, you said it wasn't. Yeah, it, it was, it was, again, I mean, Donald's part was unscripted, my response, semi-scripted, uh, but guiding principle, I'm either the sole winner or I'm walking away from this. And I would have been more than happy to quit and not accept the position if I didn't walk away the, the, the clear winner. And, and to your earlier point, there, there are so many organizations out here that are worthy of our time, our talent, our treasure, and our touch. And that's part of what we pride ourselves at, at, at my firm, BCT Partners. And you know, we'll celebrate 20, year, 20 years wow. next year that we've been in business. And we consider ourselves a socially responsible business, that we're about uh, certainly making a profit, but also about making a difference. And I believe that we are called uh, not necessarily to be successful, uh, which I define as what you do for yourself, but I believe that we're called to be great. Not define greatness as what you do for somebody else. I believe that's our true calling. Yeah, absolutely. And there's enough gifts that you mentioned, you know, God-given talents that we all have, that we all should be successful when you think about it. I mean, it's almost a, a shame that we can go through life not knowing how to be successful. And your book kind of answers that. We, we attempted to. You know, we, we interviewed dozens of uh, uh, conventionally uh, successful individuals across a number of different industries. We talked to uh, the CEO of McDonald's. Uh, we talked to the president of the NAACP. Uh, we talked to renowned journalists. We talked to corporate executives, entrepreneurs, uh, actors and actresses. We talked to a host of individuals and asked them, how did you achieve success and not lose a sense of who you are, not lose your grounding, not lose your humility, not lose a sense of responsibility and obligation to be of service to others. And that's how we came up, my, my co-author, Dr. Jeffrey Robinson, that's how we came up with uh, the 10 game-changing strategies. And the subtitle is to achieve success and find greatness because it's really twofold. It's how do you achieve success uh, to accomplish uh, something for yourself? And more importantly, how do you achieve greatness to do for others. And we think that the latter, the greatness is really uh, our emphasis in the book is how do you accomplish that? Yeah, you mentioned that about greatness being, what is it, just a destination, but the journey is what you're all about. I mean, that's what life is. You know, you mentioned that uh, things are very fleeting here today, gone tomorrow per se, but it's what, what will last, you know, your legacy. And you mentioned how it's important to think about your legacy and, uh, and so forth. It's, and also, you seem to be a big fan of Stephen Covey. That, uh, that, uh, he had, a, what, an impact, uh, I guess, uh, back then. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Stephen Covey, so I've got uh, three business partners, uh, Lawrence Hibbert, Jeffrey Robinson, who I mentioned a moment ago, and Dallas Grundy. And when we were in college, we collectively read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And, and, and thanks be to God, uh, before he passed away uh, just a few years ago, he wrote an endorsement for our book. Yes, which was an incredible coming uh, uh, coming of circle, to kind of circling around for someone who inspired us when we were in college. 
uh, from his work uh, to then endorse uh, our book, which was in many ways reminiscent of of his work. I mean, he talked about Seven Habits. We talked about 10 Game-Changing Strategies. And there were other books that also inspired us. Uh, 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 David Thomas, who's now president of Morehouse, wrote a book called The Making of Minority Executives. Uh, Ellis Coase wrote a book he used to write for the Washington Post called The Rage of a Privileged Class, which looked at minorities in corporate America in the 1960s, 1970s. Um, and Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life, was a big influence on us as well. So we pulled from all these different um, inspirations in, in, in writing uh, the book Black Faces in White Places. Well, hold on just a second, because we're all going to have a little bit of, um, we're going to gain some brain cells again. Dr. Pinkett has five degrees. We'll talk about what they are. Plus, talk more about The Apprentice, more about his book. The book is Black Faces in White Places, 10 Game-Changing Strategies to Achieve Success and Find Greatness After These Words. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. All right, we're back with Dr. Randall Pinkett, the book, Black Faces in White Places, 10 uh, Game-Changing Strategies to Achieve Success and Find Greatness. So, you know, this is you giving back. You're a Rhodes Scholar, and uh, I mean, you could kind of just live for you, uh, make the money, uh, but that's not your role at all. It seems giving back uh, is what you've done. And now this is for black or white, you know, but uh, the focus is that, a lot of times, I'm, I'm sure African-Americans, they can get left behind, overlooked, marginalized, and you teach people how to soar in, in your book. And so tell, tell our audience what it means as far as you writing this book, the inception of it. Absolutely. Uh, so we originally envisioned this project as being uh, autobiographical. Dr. Robinson and I were looking to tell our story of having been black faces in, in many white places, from grade school to college to grad school to business. Uh, we have found ourselves as one of the few or the only persons of color. The same was true for The Apprentice. There were seven seasons of The Apprentice. There were six whites who won, and then there was me. I was the only person of any color to have won on the show for the wow. seven seasons of The Apprentice. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've become accustomed to those circumstances. But what we've learned is what others have learned is that when you're in that situation, whether you're the only woman in an all-male environment, the only Christian in a... In a, in, a, in a secular environment, the only person of color in an all-white environment is that the proclivity can be to adopt the culture of the majority, to feel like you have to do that to fit in or to be accepted. Uh, and our argument is quite the opposite. No, don't, don't eschew your culture um, and adopt the majority, but rather hold on to your culture dearly. Hold on to your religion, hold on to your gender, yes. hold on to your ethnicity, hold on to all those things that constitute your identity, not only because that's being true to yourself, most importantly, but also because if I were to extrapolate, it also gives you a unique competitive advantage because now you're able to see things that others can't see because of your culture. Do things others can't do because of your culture. Have a perspective on the world that others can't have because of your culture. And if you don't tap into it, you're missing the opportunity for your difference to be an asset. And that was the basis of the book was say, well, we said, okay, well, look, 
uh, rather than making it autobiographical, let's talk to others who have had the same experience, learn from them as well as our experiences, and then distill that down into lessons that are generalizable for all. And that's how the patterns from the interviews gave rise to the 10 game-changing strategies to achieve success and find greatness. I mean, in life in general, we can get lost. Where are all the people, I think, in high school to kind of tell you what's going on? Even if I, if I think about my dad, like, why didn't you tell me how life works? Well, you do that in your book. And you tell everybody, you know, black or white, but how life really works as far as how to get along with people and business. And uh, this is something that uh, people need to, I mean, it's for everybody. It's for that 50-year-old uh, me, uh, middle-aged, you know, I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, my goodness, you know, this book, as far as uh, why couldn't I have learned these tenants um, early as far as, because there's a lot of support in life, but somehow, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's television, the media. A lot of times you just think you're alone and all on your own. And, and reading this, I'm thinking all these resources were available to me all this time as far as how to navigate through life. And, and that's what's so wonderful about your book. Well, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, and the, the broadest possible context for the book is, 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 a, is a word that you used earlier in the interview. You used the word legacy. And uh, when we talk about legacy in the book, we talk about three things, your, your light, your life, and your love. So your light is your example, uh, the example that you give to others that can inspire people even after you've left this world. Uh, for example, we, we draw inspiration from historical figures who, who, who we've never met. That's their light. Uh, then there's the, the, your love. Your love is your service to others. Uh, it's, again, your time, your talent, your treasure, your touch, how you're being of service to others in society. And then third and finally is your life. You think about the fact that we're all sent here for a mission. And they, I've heard it said, and I agree, that the, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why you were born. There's a reason why we're here. Um, and when we figure that out, that's our mission. It's our calling. It is our ministry. And it is our life impact. Uh, stated differently, how is the world a better place because of your presence in the world? That's your life legacy. And so we think about legacy. We think about your light, your example, your love, your service, and your life, your impact. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here. Yeah, and you mentioned that, you know, unless you have that wider view of life, you really won't have your feet grounded and, uh, you know, and you, and you have to stand for something. It's very, I know it's very easy to be, to be swayed, but when you have uh, that kind of ethic in life and purpose admission, you will, you know, go the distance. Well, but Michael, you just made a great point. Uh, and I'm going to tie a couple of things together, which I love what you just said, because strategy one of, uh, of the, the, the first game changing strategy is establish a strong identity and purpose. Identity is who are you? Purpose is what are you called here to do in life? Stated differently, identity is your anchor and purpose is your compass. Mm. Uh, now, if I go forward, strategy 10, strategy 10 is give back generously. You know, don't just give, but give, uh, give generously to others. But, the, but the, we have a diagram in the book that depicts all 10 strategies. And there's a line that's drawn from strategy 10 back to strategy one, and you just drew the line. Because when we think about, about our calling, our ministry, our giving, it is largely a function of who we are. The things that we value, you said the things that you stand for, you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Mm -hmm. so rooted in your identity, 
and you have a sense of purpose, that defines how you give, who you give to, what you give to, how you give, how often you give, or what you don't give, well, who you don't give to, who you don't help, how you don't make an impact. And so their strategy 10 and number one, I sound like Covey here, are inextricably linked because identity and purpose drives your giving and giving also feeds back into your identity and your purpose. You know, I, I think about the apprentice where there, that stairwell uh, and everything is of gold. And, you know, I'm sure and, and you, you could tell me, you know, I'm sure there, there are great things about Donald Trump that uh, that people love. And, and like everybody, there are flaws, too. But I kept thinking, if you have it all, the helicopter, the, the gold, uh, you know, the whole thing, uh, you know, the beautiful wife. But if it's not filled, as you mentioned, with love and giving back and all that and uh, it seems like a joke when some people get there, they get there, they step on the toes, they, uh, their marriages and relationships are sacrificed, and then they think, wait a minute, is this some type of joke? I'm not even happy. And yeah. so you save people the, the aggravation by, you know, building people up to be all that they can be on a, you know, on a spiritual level, uh, much, much greater than just uh, the word success. Well, you, 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 you're making some great points, Michael. Uh, you know, I look at the likes of a, a, an Oprah Winfrey or a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett, and if, and if you if you follow their careers, there's a a very strong ethos of of, of giving. Uh, you know, I mean, Buffett uh, was inspired by Gates when he saw Gates giving away his wealth. It changed Buffett's direction. And his philanthropy, he said, I need to do more. Um, I thought it's, it's been a thread for Oprah all along. But by comparison, mm-hmm. you know, and I, 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 I compete on The Apprentice. I work for Donald. And as we've learned more and more about Donald's philanthropy, or quite frankly, his lack thereof. Yeah. You know, his found, first of all, he's had virtually no philanthropic activities. And his foundation has been exposed as largely a shell for the guise of philanthropy to advance his business agenda. And so to, to imagine, you know, kind of positioning oneself, b- bolstering oneself as the biggest, the smartest, the baddest, the richest, the most successful person, and that's not me, that's Donald talking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yet and still, you have no philanthropy, no legacy of giving, and compounded by that which could have been the vehicle is only on a front uh, mm-hmm. To continue your business agenda, that's not the model of yeah. success or greatness that I think is a laudable model. Yeah, weren't there two people, Ananias and Sapphira? <laughs> and you talk about uh, adopting that business model, if you will, and it didn't didn't turn out well, you know, because it was all self-serving. <laughs> to uh, give half the price back or, or hold on to half of it and so forth. But you've been outspoken in the uh, the media, certainly. And But you know what's weird? I look at all the people who are on The Apprentice. I'm talking about uh, from the, I'm trying to say Donnie Deutsch, is it, for the, you know, the advertising. And uh, yep. all these people were uh, Donald Trump's friends. And then it's, it's incredible what happens when, you know, becoming president and these people are talking badly or have things to say, but it becomes, I, I don't know, I mean, it's a tough job, first of all. I, I've never been, you know, the president of the United States, but it certainly divides people. And uh, But a lot of people were outspoken and continue to be. 
I guess it's because mainly people expect a high standard. I always wonder if people are being put up to it, uh, producers saying, say this or say that, or just how much of it. I mean, do you, to this day, I mean, you have a very successful firm, once again, and in other ventures, but BCT uh, Partners, a, a multi-million dollar you know, research, consulting, training, technology, analytics firm. Again, it's uh, in Newark, New Jersey. Are you surprised that people will continue, though, to just ask about the behind the scenes of the show? The <laughs> Uh, no, I, I don't mind it at all. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, of my run on, on The Apprentice and, and it, it, it remains, uh, uh, to our opening of this interview, it remains the accomplishment that uh, has made my name more widely recognized despite my five academic degrees from Rutgers and Oxford and MIT and my Rhodes Scholarship and you know, uh, NCAA Academic All-American Hall of Fame, I mean, the list goes on. But, you know, I, I test, Michael, I, I got an honorary degree from, uh, an honorary doctorate, rather, from uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology. You know, thousands of people in this uh, stadium uh, during the, uh, the graduation ceremony, and they introduced the other, uh, the other uh, honorary doctorate recipients. And one, one of the people who got a doc, an honorary doctorate was a guy who invented the... Uh, like the the catalytic converter, I think it was called, which wow. is like a, 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 a huge innovation in the automobile uh, industry. So they're announcing all these great luminaries and, and, and they're getting the kind of warm applause. And then they introduce me and they say, you know, Randall Pinkett, Rhodes Scholar, warm applause. Randall Pinkett, five degrees, warm applause. Randall Pinkett, businessman, warm applause. Randall Pinkett, winner of The Apprentice. The crowd went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> It's I mean, the whole thing was exciting. And, and did you watch this? See, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful honor, but you won with class and it stood out from, you know, the other candidates in, in seasons to come. Did you continue to watch or did you say, nah, I know what goes on? Or were you a fan of the show altogether? Uh, so after I won, I, I returned for the next few seasons uh, as a boardroom advisor to Donald. So I actually had a recurring role on the show after winning the show. Uh, I came back. Uh, to judge other teams. I came back for finales. I came back as one of the quote unquote rewards for the winning team. Like you win this task, you get to meet with pre prior winners. So I, mm -hmm. so I, I continued to watch in as much as I continued to be involved, but when they turned it over to celebrity apprentice, which was a whole, a whole new uh, format for the show, like you and like others, I started to lose interest. And so I didn't, I didn't carry the show out till it's uh, till its conclusion. But while it remained the, the original format of The Apprentice, I was involved in subsequent seasons of that show. I turned to my wife. I said, does it seem like after Dr. Pinker, you know, after Randall, uh, does it seem like people are dumber? I mean, it just, when I look at Bill Rancic and the others and tell me if it's not true, but it really seemed that they had really smart people along with yourself. And then it's, it kind of, I don't know, at least the way that people were portrayed. I was surprised, you know, uh, some, it, the show allowed you to get into the inner workings of, of people, how they think and how they strategize. And I couldn't tell if, if people were smarter or dumber. I hate to put it in those terms. <laughs> well, you know, I, yeah, you know, I, I would have had to <laughs> watch them more closely, but, <laughs> but you know, but I've, I've met uh, uh, Sean who won season five, and uh, I've met other winners uh, uh, pursuant to, to my victory. So we have a bit of a fraternity sorority of, of mm -hmm. apprentice winners that we cross paths from time to time, and people have organized events where they've brought a few of us back and. Uh, Kwame Jackson, who was runner-up for season one, he and I 
uh, remain close friends. And I, and I remain um, good friends with several uh, people who were on my season, Marshawn Evans, Josh Shaw, uh, and, and I've done business with some of them as well, which, is, which has been a blessing. So the, the show has had a, a ripple effect beyond giving me a platform for writing books and keynote speaking and uh, doing appearances and endorsements and uh, supporting charitable causes. I've made some great relationships over the years that have lasted. And again, I've been, I, I was on the show 14 years ago, which is hard for me to believe. But wow. um, you know, I, By the way, I'm sorry to interrupt. You don't age. I meant to say that. You do not age. I looked at what you look like now and what, let's say maybe it would look like two years older. <laughs> well, I appreciate True. that, Michael. I appreciate True. that. <laughs> I was like, that can't be. I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> and can I ask you too, I just want to ask you, you know, what, what is the nicest thing that you can say about Donald Trump, about you know, the president of the United States now? Uh, what was the one thing that you were surprised about that you liked about him? Well, I'll tell you this, Michael, and, and, and it's hard to deny this. This guy knows how to win. He knows how to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, know you, you, you may not agree with how he wins, and that gets back to our earlier conversation. But the what of knowing how to how to how to make money, and and you know that's that's also debatable. But <laughs> but yeah. knowing knowing how to make some money, uh, notwithstanding that his father gave him uh, you know millions of dollars to get started. I wish I would have had that. But when you look at his run for the presidency, you can argue the uh, electoral college. You can argue Hillary won the popular vote. You can argue all those things. And those are all legitimate arguments. But at the end of the day, he's the president. You know, he figured it out. He figured yes. it out. Well, I mean, and he has more energy at his age than I do. I can't believe just, uh, is that something too? I mean, did you notice that he's full of energy or is it just, I don't even know how much time that you really got this. Well, after you, you work for him, yes. And you got the position, but I don't know during the show how much time people get to spend with him, but he seems like he has more energy than, than even the younger contestant. Uh, no, I, w- I would agree. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's a, 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 he's a, he's a driven, he's a driven man, uh, and, and, and most of us can't imagine, including yours truly, the, uh, the grueling nature of the campaign uh, uh, trail, uh, you know, which, which in the modern day is darn near two years. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they start talking about uh, next year's election, you know, January of this year was when it started to kick in. Um, and we're still more than a year away. So uh, I got, you know, he's, he's got the knack for how to figure out how to win and the, the time, the effort that it takes to do it. I, you know, I, I can't deny him that. I can't deny it. And again, your book and our special guest, Dr. Randall Pinkett, the book Black Faces in White Places, 10 Game-Changing Strategies to Achieve Success and Find Greatness. And uh, lo and behold, I'm looking at you know, ESPN and I see O.J. Simpson, Made in America, okay? And I don't know if you saw that documentary or not. I I I know uh, I no I, I haven't seen O.J. Simpson made in America no I, I you know something I I would, <laughs> I would love you to see it be, only because uh, the fabric of your book and what it talks about is is what that documentary was really all about and and in a sense it was the fact that the black community the African American community was expecting much of O.J. Simpson and talking about his life as far as uh, standing up much uh, the way that you do in your book to help people. Uh, and, you know, it, it showed kind of like living for self, self-preservation. Um, and 
and it showed the dichotomy as far as what was happening with uh, the race relations in the United States, namely in uh, Los Angeles at the time, and uh, the cruelty, the abuse, and the marginalization of the uh, African-American community. And it ties it really all together as far as his life, what he achieved, and, and but also the fact is that, um, and forgive me for saying, but kind of assimilating with the white culture and forgetting that you are an African American and being proud to be, and that is what your book is all about. How you know, how to feel good about it and and to win uh, in society, but not to just assimilate with uh, the the white culture, which is something you you warn against. You 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 are spot on, Michael. Uh, that that you just you just cut right to the the core and the essence of the book. Uh, you know, there, there's a, a saying that I'm not going to get quite right, but, uh, you know, it, it, the, the message of the saying is um, you can never be uh, better at, at being somebody else. You can only be your best self. Um, and, and there's something lost in me trying to be a better Michael Lauren. That's not why I'm here. You're here to be the best Michael Lauren. I'm here to be the best Randall Pinkett. And, 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 and we consider it, to use the word I think you use, it is a tragedy mm. uh, for one not to fulfill one's destiny. It's a tragedy for one not to fulfill one's potential. It's a tragedy for one not to be true to oneself. And yes. uh, I, I, I would agree that, uh, that OJ's story is a tragedy. Yes. Um, on, on multiple levels. I mean, naturally, those listening are thinking, oh, you know, the, the, the trial and, and the murder of Nicole and, and Ron and the like. And, 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 and yes, that's a tragedy as well. But, the, but the, the, the tragedy in the context of the book is the idea that long before OJ made headlines um, for being, a, uh, you know, a, a, a on trial for murder, is that OJ lost a sense of who he was. Um, and lost sight of the community uh, that that he was born of, mm-hmm. and and in doing so, um, lost his way, um, and that might have been the beginning of losing his way in other in other in other ways. That's exactly, and well, now you don't have to see it, but actually, I would like if you did. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest with you; these type of things, I feel, you know, it got awards, and I think uh, an Oscar or something like that. But uh, again, O.J. Simpson made in America. It was, and it was exactly what your book was about. And, uh, you know, I'm not being cute when I say it, but if O.J. Simpson read this book, uh, Black Faces and White Places, I don't think a lot of these tragedies would have happened. I, 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 I can completely agree with you. And, and, and I, I'll, I'll go a step further. Uh, I talked about uh, uh, us interviewing people for the book and asking them, how did you succeed and not lose a sense of who you are? Uh, Dr. Robinson and I, uh, our, our hope, our, our prayer is that this book can help to affirm others who may be questioning or challenged or wrestling with their identity uh, uh, and saying, do I, do I need to change to succeed? Do I need to change to fit in? Do I need to change um, to reach a certain level? And our message is unequivocally no. Be true to you. Be rooted in your identity. Find your purpose, and that's what will lead you to your destiny. Yeah, you mentioned that as an African-American in your book, you've heard the adage that you need to work twice as hard 
as white counterparts to succeed. So you play, quote unquote, the game and anticipate being rewarded for your talents and hard work. Now you're up for a prize promotion, landmark business deal or other professional breakthrough. And it said, this is your moment. Take it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I mean, I wrote it too, so I'm biased. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I love it. That's exactly right. Uh, that is the crossroads that we believe uh, so many people come to. Uh, and we've gone, we've, we've gone out and we've done uh, uh, trainings on the book. We've, I've done keynote speeches on the, on, the, on the book. I've done interviews on the book. And, and, I, and I've met so many people in my travels that have, have uh, offered such wonderful feedback that, that, uh, that, that they've come to that crossroad of, 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 of wrestling with their identity personally and, and societally and and we're all trying to find our place. We're all trying to find where we fit in. Yes, you know, it, you know, it, it dates back to our our upbringing, and and our and it and it traverses into our adulthood. And uh, we're just hoping that that the message that we can send loud and clear is that, uh, you know, just 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 be you, just be you. And can I just say, I mean, when you see an African American succeed, a billionaire, a millionaire, and do you feel like you know there should be more? I mean, there and there are a lot, but I mean, you championing. You champion uh, the African American uh, to you know the cause to 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 be a winner and to not be held back. Don't ever feel held back or anything like that. No, that, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Uh, my my experience, even to this day, is that uh, I, I still find myself in situations, despite my credentials and my accomplishments, where I have to be twice as good as my counterparts. I have to overcome. Uh, twice as many obstacles, and I don't. I don't say that as if it's a burden. Uh, I, I say that to say that I accept that challenge, and I accept it knowing that there are those who came before me who had far greater challenges, um, and they were able to sacrifice um, to knock down doors and yes. to open doors that made it easier for me. And so it's my responsibility to do the same, um, and to be twice as good, if not three times. Um, and to knock down doors and to break stereotypes and to challenge perceptions or misperceptions of what someone who looks like me can and can't do so that my children and the next generation, it'll be easier for them. And that creates a more equitable society for everyone. This is no fluff book. Your book, Black Faces and White Places, 10 Game-Changing Strategies to Achieve Success and Find Greatness. It's I mean, if I could quiz in art the five degrees that you have, right, and being a Rhodes Scholar, and you could give it to people, <laughs> as far as how to succeed in business, it would be your book. It really would. And so, you know, it examines a social responsibility, institution building, longstanding traditions of giving throughout African-American culture and history. You're a gem of a man uh, in the way that you give back. And, uh, uh, you know, we're just so proud to have you on the show. The uh, season four apprentice winner. You'll never get over that because it is, <laughs> you know, people, people will always, uh, like you said, applaud Dr. Randall Pinkett has been our <laughs> special guest. We so appreciate you being on the program. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you, uh, your voice, uh, what you and, and this, this show represent. So continue to shine light on, these kinds of conversations. And, and thank you so much for the blessing of the opportunity to, to be in dialogue with you on, on this occasion. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. 
Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailor solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand, from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bearedynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth to Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice. Total sound control products from Oralex enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.